to From Believing to Being, a podcast about pursuing meaningful spirituality after faith deconstruction. We're your hosts. I'm Karen. And I'm Dave. We're two former evangelicals having an ongoing conversation about what life and spirituality look like after letting go of our religious beliefs. Join us as we discuss deconstruction, Christianity, mysticism, enlightenment, and consciousness, And most importantly, how to experience this new way of being in the midst of parenting, careers, and going about our everyday lives. If you've recently left your faith or simply feeling pulled into a deeper way of being, we hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you and really just reassure you that you're not alone on this journey. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Karen and Dave here again. And today we're going to be talking about what someone, uh, someone else on YouTube had termed spiritual bullshit. Um, But basically, we're going to be just chatting about things like law of attraction, manifestation, what it means to unenlighten ourselves, and what our journey has been like since deconstruction and maybe even before to where we are now and how all of those different things have played a role in our spiritual journey. So Dave, I'll kick it to you. What do you what do you want to start with? Yeah, so thinking of that video that kind of first got us kicking the tires on this. I guess we'll have to link it in the show notes cuz I actually don't remember it was a it was a lesser known yeah, decently known teacher. I, again, I don't remember his name, but like Naga or something, or yeah, yeah, something I'll have like to that. Find that. Really, really awesome looking dude, dreadlocks, like the whole <laughs> thing, right? Pretty cool. Um, but he, the way that he said it, that really, I was drawn to, is I guess his definition of spirituality as a kind of a a letting go of ego Mm -hmm. so when i think of this topic that's what i think of is all of these spiritual paths or spiritual promises or whatever are are so they so easily become an ego pitfall like something for the ego to attach to. So it's complex, right? Because they have their place. You know, Mm -hmm. you think about manifestation and law of attraction. Those are real things that people have very empirical evidence of working, that the power Mm -hmm. of what we put our minds to, what you think about, you bring about is kind of one of the taglines. And there's, there's lots of truth in that. So it can, it can, it can be helpful on the spiritual path, but it can also be a very big distraction. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to, to then, it, it was helpful to me to, to understand from, from this teacher's perspective that simplicity that the spiritual path really should ultimately be about letting go of the ego, however we choose to define it, of course. I, I really liked that that perspective and then thinking about these, whether it's manifestation or prosperity gospel or, or anything that really illuminates the egoic desire. Um, it, it helps to put that into perspective. 
Mm-hmm. It makes me think of something that uh, Jacqueline O'Keefe said. She told a story about some guy who was supposedly practicing um, and teaching law of attraction and that his when someone confronted him about it, he made a comment that the reason that he teaches this is because he wants people to get to the point where they realize that it's empty or that like their desires, like your desires are never going to come to an end. And, and that was the idea of, that was his idea for teaching law of attraction was to show people that, that your desires are like, that, that following after these things that you supposedly want is an endless pursuit and to try to bring them to the end of that so that you get to a point where you realize like, oh, it, it, it's, this isn't the, I mean, it's, it's part of the path, but like, this isn't the end that I was looking for because no matter what, like I still want more and kind of to point out that, you know, how deeply entrenched we are in our ego desires. And so going to the point, um, about spirituality. Yeah. That it's, that, that is how so many of these teachers present, right? Is it, it's, the dissolution of the ego, ego, the transcending of the ego, the letting go of the ego, and just realizing all of the different ways that we remain attached to it. Right. Yeah. And that that story from Jacqueline O'Keefe, I remember that. And it now that, we, now that we're talking about it, it reminds me of the Ecclesiastes story and how mm. <laughs> you know the the teacher goes through all of these different examples of finding uh, or satisfying your desires and in the conclusion just keeps coming back to it's striving after wind right it, mm, it's all yes. meaningless and so i think that's kind of the same idea like yeah go through these like t- test out these desires and see where it leads you mm-hmm. <laughs> i think that's a that's a an interesting like kind of indirect path to kind of real get to the realization that these these desires or satisfying desires in you know what I've been considering the contents of our experience lately mm-hmm. yeah, um that that yeah it, it ends up not satisfying that which is actually seeking to be satisfied mm-hmm. with life um after I had come out of a year of working through the spiritual stuff working through deconstruction and unknowing God and unknowing Jesus and allowing an opening of perspective there. But I found this woman um, on a podcast and I resonated with her so much. There was something that she was that she was talking about with regards to law of attraction and manifestation that just really roped me in and spoke to me exactly where I where I was. And I definitely see her podcast as being an integral part of my growth. Like I, I found her and the way that she presented things made a lot of sense for me at the moment. And then as, as I've kind of evolved this last year, her teachings haven't hit right anymore. And she shared a story on a recent podcast about how, you know, she was, trying to manifest something and really focusing her thoughts and and being the type of person that that experience would happen to and really just trying to entrench herself in in this like her version of of what it 
took to manifest something. And then in the end, when it didn't happen, she turned it on herself. And it was like, oh, it was because, you know, I realized that I had a thought, you know, I was doubting. And I realized like, oh, this doubting is what prevented it from happening. Or I, um, and then she just talked about how, you know, she, she had been sick. And so she hadn't been, hadn't been feeling well and her energy was all out. And it was really sad to me now looking at it, it, the way that she presented her story, even though she was trying to use it to be an encouragement to other people, all I could see was how it had spiraled her like to even to a more negative place so that the reason that she didn't get or the reason that the experience didn't come into her life was because of what she did or didn't do. And that's one of the things that, you know, I thought has been interesting about some of the law of attraction stuff is that there's so much emphasis put on what you do or don't do. It's like, oh, you know, do you write down your mantra for, you know, do you write down your mantra a thousand times? Do you do your visualization exercise every day? Are you embodying the person that that would be? It's all on you. And then whenever you, you know, the whole, the whole point of it is you're trying to manifest something so that you can have more peace and more abundance. but then if it doesn't come to fruition, then you feel like a failure and there's something wrong that there's something that you didn't do right. And because manifestation, at least in the circles that I've kind of been on the fringes of, there's this um, idea that, that manifestation is a system, right? That there's that there's a right way to do it. And if you follow all the steps, you'll get that thing that you're trying to manifest. And so if you don't get it, well, then it's because you didn't follow the system right. And I, I don't know, it just, even though she was a huge part of my journey in the beginning, I I think just the way that I've evolved has helped me see some of the downsides of that kind of mindset. Yeah. And what's coming to mind for me is is it's kind of a religion, right? And, and I right. guess I think of religion mm-hmm. as like you put something in and you get something out. Yeah, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's probably a, a pejorative way to look at religion, but um, just in, in this context, that's kind of what I'm thinking. And and I see it, you know, when I think of especially evangelical Christianity, which is what we came from, that's kind of what I see is is it is a fire insurance policy is I guess what what I, I've heard it called in that you are doing something to get some sort of benefit. Mm-hmm. Right. You are you are following, you are you are confessing your belief in this dogma in order to get some benefit after life. Mm-hmm. Right. So as I was thinking about this topic, that's seems to be the the paradigm here is there are these um, sort of prosperity gospel type of things um, in the here and now, like law of attraction, like do X, Y, and Z to manifest your desires. And then there are the same things within um, other more formal religious traditions. And then there's the afterlife type of um, prosperity gospel that says, Mm. if you do this, you will get this afterlife. Right. And all of it... I guess I'll just be blunt and critical is I I think all of it is just missing the point because we learn that those things 
are not, they don't fully satisfy. I mean, even like the best I've heard, it's Michael Gunger has said this about the afterlife. So he's like, so you're telling me that if I follow, if I follow the, the, the evangelical dogma to it's to the T you're saying in a million years from now, I'm still going to be Michael in in heaven doing the same thing I was doing a million years before. Like <laughs> that doesn't sound very enjoyable, you know? And so it's like, we, we, we think of these things as like a enjoyable, but then when you really zoom out enough, you're like, that doesn't sound that enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So that's where we, it, it, it's these types of things when you really sit with them and, and contemplate, we, we step back and we realize that there are more deeper ways to find joy that is is not based at all in whatever sort of desirable thing it is that we want mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and, and you and I have you and I have been talking about this quite a bit right the issue of of desire and and we kind of touched on it a little bit in our last episode about hope but our desires our desires bad are they necessary and um it's weird because I think that you know, kind of what Jacqueline O'Keefe's point was too, is that desires in a way are are necessary and having this deep, intense longing to change your situation or whatever is actually a a way to help you realize how transient things are and how quickly they change and how, and, and again, well, and also the point of how much credit do we give our thoughts, right? You know, so much of what you and I have been have been going through is coming to this place where we recognize we're not our thoughts. Like we can have a thousand different thoughts, and we don't have to identify with any of them. We don't have to grab onto one or the other as being more true than not true. You know, whatever. Um, and with this stuff, there is so much about like, okay, well, this is the thing that I want you know, I think I want a new car. I want a new car. And then we latch onto it and believe that it's true. But then if your car breaks down, you still want a new car. But honestly, you would just be happy if you had any car, just any car that would work in that moment, you know? And all of a sudden you realize like, okay, well, I yes, I want a new car. But what I really want in this moment is I really want any car that will just get me to the place where I need to go. And you see like, that your desires are shifting and um, and are not as concrete as you as you think, and so I kind of feel like it's not that the, the desires have their place because they help us to see how meaningless and transient they really they really are. Yeah, yeah, and that that reminds me of uh, it's from a new earth. And I, I don't remember the details enough to tell the, the story exactly how it is, but a new earth with Tole, he he shares a kind of an ancient proverb. He shares a handful of ancient proverbs in, in the book, but this one is the one about this man from ancient times who has these really kind of odd sequence of events where he has this really, really good thing happen to him and people come and and they're just like, Oh, you must be, you must be really grateful for these things that happened to you. And he just responded with something like maybe. 
and then he would have something really bad happen to him and he would respond same like maybe and it was this continual good thing bad thing good thing bad thing happening to him and he stayed steady realizing that again like you're saying it was transient like a really really good thing would happen really really bad really really good really bad and he just wouldn't become attached to any of it realizing that it was just this constant cycle of of high and low and that wasn't where he was the 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 moral of the story obviously is that that wasn't where he was seeking his peace and joy in the circumstances he was seeking it deeper Mm -hmm. so the way that you put that i there's actually uh for any parents out there there's a really good book called zen shorts i forget who the i forget who the author is but it's um three or four stories of like a Buddhism uh, origin. And that's, that's one of them. There's a a story about that. And it's, it's a really good little children's book. But the way that you put that, it made me think about how, you know, underlying all of the underlying all of our experiences is the story that we tell ourselves about them. And that's what that character refused to do. Everybody else around was saying, Tell your tell yourself a story that this is a good thing, and he and he and he wasn't. He's was like, I'm not going to tell myself a story about it, whether it's good or bad. I'm not going to, I'm not going to attach an you know an idea to this. And that our desires, all of our desires, come with a story attached, right? Where we, if we can go in, go into the car thing, you know, if we tell ourselves, oh, I want a new car, there's a story underneath that. There's a story that we've that we've gotten attached to that having a new car would be good. But I mean, what if you get a new car and it's a lemon? And you know, then all of a sudden you're like, oh crap, I hate this car. And it's like, yeah, but just, you know, a couple months ago you were talking about how much you loved it. You told yourself a story that having a new car was gonna be like the ultimate that was gonna be everything you wanted. Um and and yeah, and how other things come into our lives and we're constantly telling ourselves a story. And I feel like in evangelical Christianity, this was so blatant to me. Like, you know, someone would get a, a diagnosis and it's like, oh my gosh, everybody, we've got to pray to have God take this diagnosis away. We got to, we got to pray for healing and, and everything like that. And so the story that they were cultivating was that whatever this illness was, was a bad thing and it had to be eradicated. And it was, it was not God's will for this person to get sick. It was so bad. But then, you know, after the person, you know, dies or gets better or whatever happens, then it's flipped and it's like, oh my gosh, but when you got sick, everybody came together and it was such a beautiful thing. And, and this person's, you know, this person's life and death has, has brought our family back together again. And all of a sudden the narrative changes to where the illness or, you know, the tragedy that happened is now viewed as this really beautiful thing that God has worked together for, for the good, Right. But this latching on and just, I don't know, it's all just the transient nature of it and where our mindset is to how quickly we want to judge things as, you know, as being good or bad, right or wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I have this thought coming into my head of, of that sort of example and how I forget where I heard this, but something I heard recently was this idea that, that truly goodness prevails that the the nature of existence is good Mm. which is is very in line with all religions let's face it that god is good that 
the ultimate reality is patterning towards a good thing. And that's something that I'm just like, I I don't know. I mean, I want to believe that that's, I I like to have faith in that, but I don't, I can't say that I know for sure, but it is interesting when you, when you hear stories like that and there's continual historical examples about like these bad things that happen and somehow something good comes of them. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, in one hand, yeah, it, we can see the transient nature of so virtually everything that we experience and and see through it, see underneath it. What is it that is experiencing the transience of it? But it, there's also seems to be this thread of goodness, right? We all desire something good at the end of the day. So maybe that's a little off topic of our uh, conversation about <laughs> spiritual bs and maybe that is spiritual bs right maybe i'm i'm falling victim to it here and now i don't know but it is it is it is an interesting thing to think about like that good bad dichotomy that so often breaks down you know is the ultimate reality some level of goodness mm-hmm. or not right is that just what we what we want and and by wanting that are we causing suffering and distress because we're not always going to have it. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things come to mind. Um, Cause I don't, I personally have been trying to move away from thinking about, about good and bad. Um, and, you know, I, I think it, it, the, the first image that came to mind was that, um, that yin yang symbolism that yeah, uh, Alan yeah. Watts does like at one point, so he's got it on some sort of a, of a round disc on a wall. And he's talking about how, you know, at, like you see black, you see white, but then he, if I'm remembering right, he spins it and it all just, you, you no longer can see the black and white as clearly defined. It all just kind of like becomes this, you know, just swirl. Right. And that that's what it seems like to me that really anything, anything could be good or bad, depending on what story you want to or feel like you need to tell yourself about it. You know, even if you look at at humanity, I mean, there have been so many things where we could say like, oh, you know, it's humanity has inv- has evolved to a to a good point to a better point goodness like you said you know goodness has prevailed but then you look at the environment and it's like well the improvement of the human condition has wreaked havoc on the earth so maybe it's better for us but it's bad for the earth and that's what i think of as like as soon as we put a good you know as soon as we just like that yin yang thing as soon as we say good we automatically are contrasting it with a bad. There's always going to be a flip side to everything. And it just depends on whatever story we, we need to tell ourselves about it. And, you know, going back to the, the law of attraction thing, you know, for me, this is the story that I told myself was coming out of Christianity. I felt like I had denied myself things for so long that everything had been dependent upon whether or not it was a holy 
desire or, you know, I would judge myself as being selfish if I wanted, if I wanted something. I, you know, even to the point where I felt I had this stupid judgment about decorating my house. Like I would go to other people's houses and see, you know, how beautifully decorated they were and how they had spent, you know, $50 on a pillow. And I was just like, oh my God, I could never, I I could never bring myself to do that because, you know, who am I to say that I'm deserving or worthy of a $50 pillow (laughs) or like, or that my money could be used for so much better, you know, so many better things than decorating my house. Doesn't she know there are poor people starving in Africa, right? I mean, it was like totally the stuff that I had grown up with, totally my own money stuff, but that was what I had brought. And then Christianity just sort of put it, like increase that, right? About all this stuff of how you should put others above yourself and, you know, you should have like live, you know, a simple life and everything. And then whenever I dropped all of my religious beliefs, I had this huge rush of freedom and I was like, you know, I can do whatever I want. I can want things now. Now I don't have some God looking over my shoulder, deciding whether or not it's okay to have something fancy and new. I can want whatever I want. And there was this flood of, of weird, random desires, like, you know, wanting to go out and spend a bunch of money on on clothes or on shoes or to have a particular type of car. And I became consumed with this desire to desire stuff. And when I stumbled upon law of attraction and that just encourages desires, right? And people will tell you like, you know, don't play small, right? Don't just ask for a car, but get really specific about the type of car that you want. And don't be ashamed of what you want. It's like you can't be ashamed of what you want otherwise you won't manifest it. So really put your desire out in there into the world. What do you want? And it was like oh my god, it was just amazing, intoxicating, intriguing. I just would sit there and be like how many things can I think of that I want? And it was hard, but for the first time in my life I felt like I could actually want things without the guilt of religion telling me it wasn't okay. Um, and so that was, that was amazing. And like, that was a story that I, like, that was my story behind all of the, like all of the desires and, um, and everything. Did you have any of, did you have any of that? Do you have any of that baggage around feeling okay about wanting things? No, I don't think I ever, it's interesting. I don't think I ever really fell victim to the more legalistic side of Christianity, meaning the whole, like, like that, like, uh, what would they call that? Prudence or, um, modesty or right, it's like very puritanical. You know, pu- yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really fall to the, the pure, the purity movement to a degree. I mean, obviously the whole narrative of, no sex before marriage was like pounded into me as, as a kid, but it, I was, I was always kind of rebellious as a, as a teenager. And then, you know, came to be a Christian as an adult came to be more serious Christian. I'll say that as an adult. And so my, my mindset was just kind of already different and, and kind of hard, already been cleansed of a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I don't think that I had that pendulum shift, but, but my, my, I guess, personal experience with law of attraction, interestingly started before, probably a year or two before 
my deconstruction mystical experience. And then I moved into a new realm of law of attraction. And then I, and now I'm, I'm where I'm at now where totally a different lens and, and we can get to that later maybe. But the, the shift was, so I, I read this book. It was by this guy, Mark Batterson, and it's called draw the circle. And it was a very evangelical themed book just about, I guess, more prosperity gospel type of stuff of if you really set your mind on something and continue to commit it in prayer, it will come to you. And so in his whole premise of it was draw the circle. So identify something that you want and, and put it forth to God and write it on a note, note, uh, a note card and circle it, circle it every day. And I was doing that with a few things. A lot of, for me, it was a lot of job related stuff. And uh, it was very comforting. It's very comforting to put forth these desires that we have and trust that there is some higher power that is working for your good. And this, the same applies with, with the, the non-Christian law of attraction because you believe that a power greater than yourself and then after deconstruction, having a mystical experience where, you know, there's a lot of different ways to describe it, but the, the non-duality of it where you come to believe that that higher power is you, that you are the Ooh, higher power, yes, that we right. have the power to create. That's the difference between law of attraction and prosperity gospel is you're not looking to some external God, right. you are believing that you have the power to do it. And I was, I, I came across this guy, Neville Goddard, Goddard, I think he's kind of like one of the forefathers of the law of attraction. He probably a hundred ish years ago, or maybe longer. And I, I encountered some of his stuff. I, I listened to one of his books and his premise, and he, it's interesting. I would, I would highly recommend him actually. He, uh, he's Christian. He was Christian and he was really, really well-versed in the Bible. And he basically interpreted the Bible through that lens that all this, uh, manifestation type of stuff. And so I, in that season, I was, I was really intrigued by it. And it, so it was not so much about the desires. It was about the power, I guess, to Uh, realize that we are, we are this powerful being that is creating everything we experience and that we're weighed down by all of this um, cultural conditioning that we've been a part of for decades in mm-hmm. most cases. And we have to somehow let go of all of that and realize that we have the power to, and it, it, you know, it's biblical. Think about it. Like what was it? Paul or Jesus who said, um, tell that mountain to, to, to yes. move or to jump and it will jump. And like, maybe they weren't being, metaphorical there if you think about it there there is a case to be made that 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 what they were talking about is this manifestation type of stuff where we have in in our consciousness we have the power to create something that is seems impossible Mm -hmm. so I, i was really swimming in that stuff for for quite a while and i never really got really into the the practice of it though i was more just curious and into the theory of it but, um, and always like loosely, like I still do it. If I'm being honest, I still do it sometimes where I'm like, well, let me, let me put this out there as, as something that I would like to experience mm-hmm. and meditate on it periodically and see if it happens. 
That's the tricky yeah. thing, right? Is that there's aspects to this stuff that really do line up with the other things that we've been that we've been reading about and learning and have heard of as like ancient wisdom, right? And even something that Jacqueline O'Keefe said in that video, and we'll link that one as well. So how did she put it? She put it as whereas the law of attraction interprets manifestation of a desire, like actually getting the thing that you were hoping to get is not necessarily because of the desire that you were putting out into the world, but that it was an intuitive awareness of what was already coming towards you. So that, you know, if, if you think of the, the unfolding, then that, you know, that we've kind of referred to every once in a while, life unfolding in different ways, that as you expand your awareness, you can start to know what's going to happen before it happens. You can like see it coming in your awareness. So it's not necessarily something that you're causing, but it's just that you're aware of what's happening on a deeper level. And so in that sense, it's like, your or or you can like see what is coming at you even before it comes just because you're just so much more tuned in and and aware and you've opened yourself up so much and in that sense well then law of attraction is not wrong it's just that we've reversed it so instead of saying oh life is coming at me and i'm just aware of what's happening with it you say, well, if I do something, it's that focus on the little ego. Well, I got this, you know, I got this, whatever, this car, this promotion, this money, because I put the desire out there. Like, no, take your little ego out of it. It's not what you did or didn't do. It's the fact that life was unfolding that way. And there was something in you that was aware of it. I don't know, but it, it's weird because we see those little truths all throughout the place in the Bible and Buddhism and law of attraction, like all that stuff. But I think that the kind of the, I don't want to say the danger, but like the potential pitfall of it when it comes to this deeper spiritual journey is recognizing where these ideas are hooking you to believe that your little eye is still the, the center of the world. And that are you, is, is what's happening is what you're believing, enhancing that ego and building up that ego persona, or is it an embracing and a recognition of your limitless, your limitlessness as this greater, bigger I consciousness awareness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really good. I, I I like the use of the word pitfall there. And I almost feel like that's a better word than spiritual BS because it's it's not, right? It's not BS. Mm-hmm. None of this is BS because it's not not true. Right, right. <laughs> but it's a pitfall because you know, whatever it is, there are good things that come. Um quote unquote, good things, right? And and there is a power to create. And that's, that's where I continue to go with all this is, you know, my ontological framework, 
personally ontological fancy word for you know existential philosophy or whatever is that is the non-dual kind of singularity type of essence that there is this singularity that out of which all things have come and there is a power to create somewhere in there and we are that right that, that whatever the singularity was expanded is continually expanding infinitely to create us and we are just it we are a manifestation of it god singularity source whatever fancy word we want to use and that is a creative power so of course we as a manifestation of that have the power to create mm-hmm. and it's a matter of like tuning into it so it's all i again beliefs here so do i know for sure of course not there there's so many different possibilities of what our existence could actually be but that's just what i choose to hang my hat on and so in that sense we can have faith that it is true and but but at the same time it's a huge pitfall because to to think that we can create whatever we want then puts us into this place where it's like well what do i want and that gets you into ego mm-hmm. right the ego wants the ego wants ego wants i want i want whatever versus like you're saying recognizing your true essence as that singularity that is expanding and creating all of this um and that is where something that i've been really uh, sitting with is finding joy in that finding joy in like you who you really are what you really are not the outcome of it if that Mm -hmm. makes sense and I think that's the premise of all these teachers with self-inquiry is look to who you are or what you are and rest in that and experience the joy and the peace of that. And then everything else will just be the spinning uh, yin yang where it's neither good or bad. It's just life unfolding. Mm-hmm. But all these pitfalls, that that's such a good word. I'll, I'll just end there with my little rant because to see these things as pitfalls is I think the key because they're not necessarily a bad thing and they're not necessarily false, but they're so easy to, to get tripped up in and get Mm -hmm. hooked on. Like, like you said, I was just pulling out the Adya Shanti book, uh, the end of your world, which I've been rereading. And he actually, he has a chapter called common delusions, traps and points of fixation. And, um, he, you know, he talks about how, as we go through this awakening, enlightening process um, of dissolving the ego, that these these other ideas come up that we want to grasp onto as like, oh, this is the truth. It's like you get a glimpse of that idea, like you were saying, you get a glimpse of that idea of, okay, well, if I'm this, if if my true nature is is limitless and all creative and all of this, then I have the power to create. And you can latch onto that as a truth. And as the, like, as this is your new thing, kind of like what you were saying earlier, like, this is my new religion. I have the power to create. And how do I facilitate this? Like, no, 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 no. Like, (laughs) let that go. Just accept that as a new idea that's presented to you and keep moving on. Don't like 
grab onto it because your ego, he puts it, he says, um, the ego grasps at the realizations inherent within awakening. That's where the truth of it comes in. But almost as if the ego were grasping the raw energy of enlightenment and starting to utilize it to its own ends. It's like, oh, that's exactly it. You have you have this energy of changing and shifting, and then you find something that, you know, is like has this truth in it, and then you latch onto that and start figuring out like, well, how can I build up the ego using this idea? <laughs> you know? And it's like, no, 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 don't get don't get tripped up in that. Um yeah, I, I, I like it. So he, one of a couple of the things he says is, um, getting stuck in a sense of superiority, right. Of like, oh, I'm, I'm enlightened. I'm awakened. I'm better than everybody else. Um, he, let's see, are there any more, where are the headlines? Um, so anyway, he has I, I, meaninglessness. Go ahead. Sorry. sorry I, I just had a, I, well, I just had a thought on that. Cause I've, I struggled with that for a little while in my kind of post deconstruction, process of uh, awakening and I, I see that actually as like a double ego thing now now that I'm processing it that that superiority because not only is it you're you're living in this sense of separateness where here you are and here is everybody else that's that's an ego thing but also you're applying your own frame of reference to your evaluation yeah and that's where I've I've been able to kind of come to a, maybe a, call it a better spiritual maturity in a way but to realize like if if i'm thinking that where i'm at is superior to someone else that's just through my own frame of reference right everyone else has their (laughs) own frame of reference and so it's just like applying that doubling down i guess on on egoic tendencies yeah the other the other thing um along those lines and similar to what you were what came up when you were talking earlier too is about you know that idea that enlightenment is the ego's biggest disappointment and how what's funny is that we really revere people like buddha and jesus and these indian gurus and stuff but when you actually look at their life they live especially you know after their awakening they end up living these really kind of lame looking lives if we were to be honest you know they was it i think i heard somebody say that you know ramana maharshi once he was awakened, he never went outside of like a 30 mile radius or, or something. And, you know, you look at Jesus and Jesus lived his whole life basically within a hundred mile radius and maybe even smaller. Um, and yeah, and he was homeless and like, he didn't, you know, he wasn't out collecting anything good. And it's so funny that we revere these people, but then we don't want to live like them. You know, we're like, oh, Jesus, Buddha, they had, they were so wise. They were so enlightened. I want to be, I want to be like that. I want enlightenment. But then, then you fall into this trap of law of attraction, which is all about creating abundance and, you know, surrounding yourself with these material possessions. You want four houses? Great. Well, you know, meditate on that. Live the life that a person with four houses would live, you know, be that person. And, and it's, so it's, there's this, there's this disconnect with it. And I think, you know, enlightenment, enlightenment being the ego's biggest disappointment is that if you really truly embrace these enlightened enlightenment principles, it does take you down the path of like less desires, 
total acceptance of what is being content regardless of what your circumstances are. That is is like, you know, being very humble, not believing that you're better than anyone else, not insisting that you have any particular seat, you know, at the table. And that that is, you know, the life of an enlightened person is going to be this very humble, simple life that your ego looks at and is like, well, that just looks miserable, <laughs> you know? And, and I don't know. So it just, it, yeah, there's that, that, that disconnect, um, between what we say we really want, which is the peace and the enlightenment and the joy of, of knowing what this oneness thing is about. But then we don't, our ego doesn't actually want that because it's, because it means the end of the ego. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's that death that we are so afraid of. It's the loss of identity. It's the question marks of what it is that we become. And it's, it's countercultural. And I think that's where it becomes tricky. And I, I find myself trying to reconcile it and, and make it palatable. And maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing because again, it, I don't know that it needs to be a black and white, like you either move towards it or you don't. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, because so we, we, you, you and I both have children and a mm-hmm. wife and one of our, um, big influences over the last year is Nizargadatta Maharaj, who's a non-dual Hindu teacher from like 75 years ago, right? And I'm pretty sure he left his family mm-hmm. to go commit to his teachings. So he followed it to a T. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm not going to do that, right? I, I can sit, I continue to look at my life and I'm like, my priority will always be just tending to what is in front of me, which is my family. And so, but I don't see it as like, okay, well, by doing that, am I um, castrating myself of, of a potential of moving more deeply into that essence of enlightenment? So I think that there is like this gray in between area where we can still have these desires and still be moving towards that deeper kind of state of enlightenment it's just harder <laughs> so it's like the easier path is to let every let all of your desires go mm-hmm. because then you're living in a state where you're completely content with whatever happens like for example if you lose your family even though you love them and 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 they're their priority to you you're fine because that's not where you're where you're you are just with whatever is. Um, and so there, there's that sort of balance there. Uh, and I, I'm reminded of, I think this actually came up in our podcast last week, but when Jesus talks about the rich man entering the kingdom of heaven, and I the way I interpret that is more that desires, right? That the rich man has all these desires. So when it when we have these desires, they are weighing us down to mm-hmm. really enter that kingdom of heaven enlightenment but how do we integrate 
being in this world where like you say, like we both talk about, like we have families. So like inherent with that, there is going to be desires. We can't just, we well, I guess we could, but we're not going to just let it all go. So mm-hmm. it's that we're, we're praying, we're playing the game on like a, a little bit more difficulty than if we truly followed in those footsteps, which sounds kind of weird, right? Cause it sounds like it would be harder in a way that maybe harder for the ego to fo- to truly follow in the footsteps of like letting everything go. Mm-hmm. But in some respects, it's harder this way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think all of the spiritual teachers will say that, that, you know, not everybody who wants to be enlightened will actually become it because there's things that they don't want to let go of. And I think that this is one of those things where like, if you really truly embrace these teachings for everything, then you could potentially walk away from your family and not necessarily care about what happens to them or not necessarily feel bad that you are pursuing this, you know, this in some ways, like a higher calling, you know, at the detriment of your, of your family, because according to these teachings, like the best thing that we can do for the world is find this truth for ourselves and become fully awake, right? That like, that would be the cure for world peace is if everyone was like this, but the sort of real world consequences of going there are, is so high. And, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind and as sexist as it is, is like, you don't really hear about many female spiritual teachers. Like, I don't know of a female equivalent to Buddha or a female equivalent to Jesus. And, you know, we talk about Mother Teresa, but it was like, she, you know, she clearly already chose a path of not having, of not having kids. And so women were never really, truly, fully able to pursue these kind of things just by virtue of, you know, society and and culture's treatment of women and all those different things. But then, I mean, in that way, it makes Jesus's relationship with the women even more significant, you know, if Jesus is saying, no, you too can be, you too can have this experience. You too can be enlightened. And the women that follow Jesus, I can imagine were just like, you know, this, the idea of being able to leave everything behind, you know, I mean, Jesus didn't go and call any female disciples that we know of. It was always the men like, oh, leave your nets drop your nets. Like who cares about the kids that you have back home, drop your nets and follow me. (laughs) Right. Um, but you know, women being traditionally saddled with the tending and care of children, it's like, well, no, you, you know, you weren't allowed to just, to just walk away. And I do think that, that it's exactly like what you're saying that there's, it doesn't mean that we can't attain, like, you know, not attain, that's not the word, it doesn't mean that we can't fully embrace this experience, whatever is unfolding in front of us and that, but it's, I mean, you, in a way you almost have to be like totally psychotic that, that, that is, you know, that that would be a, a symptom of enlightenment. It is if you were totally psychotic and you just walked away walked away from your job, walked away from your family, walked away from all your responsibilities, not caring what the consequences of that would be and just went off to, you know, live in an ashram somewhere Hmm. and not fully be engaged with life. 
But, but that's just one way of thinking about it, right? I mean, that's just right. one idea because then you have other people like Tolle who are all about the power of now that, that where the kingdom of heaven is, where real life is, is just living in the now. And like you were, like you were saying, embracing what is right in front of you, which is your family. And that enlightenment in a way is actually not avoiding the discomforts of, of actually being present in your life. That that is where, that that is, you know, that that is where the awakening, the enlightenment, the dissolution of the ego is, is being fully present with the conditions and circumstances of your life right as they are. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We, if we're using the word ego a lot and Tole, so Tole, Rupert Spira and Francis Lucille and their kind of crew of, of teachers, this the kind of direct path self-inquiry, and then Adi Ashanti, they all have very different definitions of ego. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for example, Tole, one of his definitions of ego that I really liked was the unobserved mind unconsciousness Mm -hmm. so when we are when we are dwelling in a a state of unconsciousness our mind is is in control of our experience that is ego to uh spira and francis lucille would i I, i've really drawn to francis's i've mentioned this to you but i'm really drawn to his definition of the the belief that you are a separate entity right? The belief in your being an individual. So anytime that you're in ego, you are believing that you are this separate entity rather than a part of the whole of universe. And then I don't remember what Adi Shanti's was. And if you're reading the book, maybe you remember, but the thing I do remember is that he talked about how it was more a verb than a noun that ego is a way of being in the world. So it's not in in that I really appreciate because in that respect, ego isn't, we don't like have to kill our ego. There isn't a dissolving of ego. It is a, it is an opportunity to dwell in a state that is egoless, that mm-hmm. is pure awareness. And that is where to me, all these teachings merge because whether it's the direct path, self-inquiry, looking for your true nature or Tole's just being in the present moment, it's all pointing to the same thing of just being free from egoic tendencies, egoic patterns that are evaluating everything through the vantage point of being a separate self. Mm-hmm. And and where I'm drawn is is just the experience, like having the experience. And that's where I think you can still you know, the idea of like, are you an enlightened person or not? I've, I've never really, I, I don't want to say never, but lately I haven't been as drawn to that. But you can still be in this, call it state of awakening and still have an enjoyable experience because you are realizing, okay, I'm the one having this experience mm-hmm. and this is enjoyable um, it, just to be having this experience. And that can, I think that that can correlate then with still having the experience of a family mm-hmm. of, of the, the, the love and, and the, the bondedness that's shared there. Mm-hmm. But, but from a non-attached perspective, realizing that the one that is 
immersed in those bonds isn't you. You're the one that's aware of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I think, you know, that kind of goes, I mean, speaks to the, you know, where enlightenment is a, is a disappointment to you, the ego. It's a disappointment to you, our subconscious or unconsciousness, because everything comes to the light. There's no longer anything to protect and, you know, the belief in a separate entity. Well, if you're, if you don't have a belief, if you don't believe that you're something separate, then there's no need to, there's nothing there to build anything up or, you know, to build on. There's no reason to layer yourself with all of these achievements or accomplishments because there's nothing there to build on. <laughs> like there's no, there's, there's nothing separate like there. It's all just an illusion. Um, there's and no yeah. specialness. There's no identity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's funny because, you know, I think in the beginning when I was coming out of deconstruction and looking, you know, like I still had this desire to be like for some sort of spirituality, but I, but I didn't know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to sink my, my teeth into something with certainty again. And I found this idea of, you know, of, of the enlightenment and awakening and all that kind of stuff. There was part of me that had that feeling of, oh, this is, this is what I'm going towards now. This is, this is what I want. You know, I want to be fully awakened. I want, you know, and, and of course, you know, the, with everything that was just going on in the world with COVID and the, um, the protests and everything, you know, there was a lot of this talk about, about being woke. Right. And so, and so it's like, yeah, like I, I want that. I want to be fully awake. I want to be all of this. And now I, there's, there, it's weird because there is this sense in me. It's almost the opposite now of like, I, I don't think I want enlightenment because you see how, if you go down, if you go down this path and embracing these ideas and like really surrendering yourself to them, then it means a letting go of all of the things that had built you up before. And, and there's a huge, you know, there's a huge shift in how you had identified yourself before. And there's loss of interest in things that used to, to be the foundation of what you were building your life on. And I was like, Oh crap. (laughs) Maybe I didn't want to go down this path. Like somebody take me back to, to law of attraction <laughs> without, you know, without all of this. Um, but then, you know, when you have, when you experience the peace that comes with it and that sort of more even keel of things can shift and change and, and I can be okay. I don't have to be so attached to everything. Then that can bring a deeper sense of joy. But I know, I think... I don't. I know Adya Shanti has, has talked about this quite a bit. Um, how there is this idea out there that, you know, our society has come to think of enlightenment and awakening and the spiritual journey as being a superior endeavor, a really, you know, something to achieve. And if you achieve it, then, you know, you're it, there's somehow this like bliss and everything. And it's not. It's like the more that you read about it, and the more that you hear people's stories, it's it's not that. And I don't know, it's, it's interesting to see the nuances of people who get to this place because I don't have the joy yet. I mean, I have, I have glimpses of a joy. I, I definitely have peace and a deeper sense of, of freedom and 
like affectionate detachment, but I'm not like walking around on cloud nine all the time. Like, you know, and I think that some people can be like, oh, you just sit there and meditate and like everything is good and everything is bliss. And it's not, it's not really like that, at least for me so far. So, <laughs> so I have a, I have a good example to share um, of a glimpse that I had two days ago, I think two or three days ago. So I, I mentioned to you, but I, I've started to do voice recordings just recently mm-hmm. because I can't, for some reason, I, I'm, I'm struggling to meditate lately. Um, I'm struggling to write. So, but I think a lot, I, I, I find myself thinking and just like being mindful. And, and that's been really liberating to me is like, I can think and I just need to be mindful of thinking mm-hmm. and not get, not let it be out of control. So it's been, it's been really comforting to me to, to have that. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, approval. I don't know. Allowance be, allow myself to do that anyway. So I started to record some of my thoughts. So kind of verbally process like I'm doing right now, except for you're listening to me and and (laughs) maybe anybody else out there. Anyway, so one of the things I was thinking about is this dichotomy between the finding joy in the contents of experience versus the nature of experience. And I was was at a lunch break for work. I was actually just sitting in my car near this little pond and I was – just talking about that to myself, processing it. And I was looking out the, um, the windshield of my car and I see the wind blowing and this tall grass flowing and the, the waves blowing with the water or I'm sorry, with the wind. And, and then I saw it, I, I realized exactly what I was talking about that I had this joy of that experience but not the contents of the experience Mm -hmm. because it's not like there's nothing special about wind. There's nothing special about it, but it was this realization that this joy of just being aware of the experience. And it was so profound. And, and then I've had a, a few others lately where I started to realize more when Spira titles his book, being aware of being aware I ha- I've had those little glimpses lately where like I'll I'll notice that I am aware of being aware. Right. right? Yeah. I'm not a I'm not the one I'm not aware of the experience. I'm aware of being aware of the experience. And it's just you you find this this kind of ethereal joy in just like this is freaking awesome. Yeah. Like I am having this experience. I'm aware of this experience. That's enough. I don't it doesn't matter what the experience is. I'm just having this experience and it's, I'm sure as I explain that some people might be like, I don't get it because I, I, I really think it's something that you have to experience directly. You have to be in right. that place and it's fleeting, right? Cause then mm-hmm. we go back to normal life and that's probably why people like Jesus and Buddha have to give everything up because normal life gets in the way of, yes. of that. Cause you can't really go through the mundane crap of life and dwell in that state i mean that would be nice but Mm -hmm. it's it's much much harder to do Mm -hmm. for sure yeah i think that's a i think that's a good a good example of it and 
it reminds me of things that, you know, people will, will usually say like when they're close to dying, you know, if they, if they mm. know that they're, you know, they're super sick or something, they're close to dying and they will find joy just in sitting and, and looking at a window and being like this, like this is enough right in this moment, you know, or just to have my family around me just to be aware of like, to be so fully present um, in that, in that moment there's a joy. It doesn't matter what it is, but just the fact that you're there to experience it is, is what the joy, you know, where the joy comes from. One thing that I wanted to, you know, to bring up is um, Adi Ashanti in, in his book talks about how the question is not, how do I become more enlightened? Like, what do I have to do to become more enlightened? But the question is, what am I doing that is unenlightening myself. And he talks about this idea of, of things that hook us. And I feel like, you know, this, these spiritual pitfalls, spiritual bullshit, like whatever, you know, however people want to call them, that the thing with all of that is, you know, is what is it that keeps hooking us? And like, in your example, it's like the contents of our experience is typically the things that hook us. Either we don't like the contents of our experience, or we like them too much and we're afraid that they're going to leave us, but just these different ways that we keep getting hooked. And I've been sitting with that question a lot, like instead of, you know, cause you and I both have been like, well, you know, we haven't been as interested in listening to podcasts and like reading the books and meditating. We're sort of in this little like lull of activity in a way, but it's giving me the opportunity to see where I'm getting hooked. So I feel like instead of, instead of being in this progressive part of how can I become, you know, how can I become more enlightened or like, you know, what can I do to get deeper into these teachings? I'm in a place where I'm not as interested in that, but life has an opening to show me all the places where I'm still being triggered or, or hooked, or there's still, there's thoughts that I have that definitely spiral me down into a place of fear and it's before I didn't really know how to interpret this lull of interest. And now it's interesting to me that I'm starting to see or become aware of all of the things that I'm still attached to that I didn't even realize I was attached to, but like all the thoughts or beliefs that I'm still attached to that feed into this idea of. I'm still separate or that I'm not awake in a particular area of, of life. And that's kind of been a cool, just a new, a new perspective to, to think about. And, and he, you know, he mentions how that's kind of what life is really good at. You know, that if we were sitting in an ashram somewhere, we wouldn't be, we, we could still be asleep in a lot of ways, we could still be not awake in a lot of areas of our lives because we wouldn't have someone, you know, someone or something, the contents of our experience constantly rubbing up against us. And it makes me think of the, right, the biblical thing about, um, you know, iron sharpening iron or like, you know, being purified in the fire. And I used to think of that very differently, but now I can see from this perspective how it's true that if you want to be purified, you've got to put yourself right in the middle of, of life, but also be awake enough to realize that 
life isn't like out to get you, but that like Adi Ashanti says, the parts of you that are awake move to the parts of you that are unawake, which is a helpful tip. Mm-hmm. Man, uh, the iron sharpens iron, the, the, the purification, the being the best version of yourself. Like I just hear ego pitfall in all of that. You know, there's all these opportunities to inflate the sense of self to say, okay, by doing these things, I am going to be sharper or purer or better mm. or whatever, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah. And again, it's it's the same idea where it's like, these aren't necessarily bad things. It's true, but it's it's such a pitfall and so devious because that's the ego f- feeds on that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's where, that's where I, I I hear what you're saying in the the unenlightened opportunities because you know when we and and something that I'm I'm gathering and, and maybe this this lull that you mentioned that you know we're both kind of experiencing is it's 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 a it's an unordinary sense of stillness. So not not being quote unquote spiritual through the ritualistic or disciplined manner, but maybe dwelling in a state of deeper stillness and awareness to what is what is happening. And in that way, like you're saying, those awake pieces, the stillness, the awareness it moves to those pieces that are unawake to shed light on them and to turn them as Tolle uses the word transmutation a lot transmutes mm-hmm. them to consciousness that's and cool. i think that's i think that's really a good way to look at it and it's not i think what's important as we talk about these pitfalls is to say well how can it not be a pitfall and that's where i think steeping in some semblance of truth in this theory of enlightenment is important because mm-hmm. the, the theory of enlightenment all points to that the ego is an illusion. So as I think that's maybe the most important thing that we need to do is steep in that truth that ego is illusory. The sense of the separate entity that we are is illusory so whatever it is that we're doing, ensuring that it's not building that up, mm-hmm. right? That it's not like inflating our sense of individuality self, which is, as I, even as I say that, like, wow, what a tough thing to do in our culture, both from a religious perspective and just culture in general, because everything that's coming at us is ego. It is talking yes. about in, inflating distinguishing maybe even a better way to say it individuals Mm -hmm. right every individual being special and again that's not a bad or a good thing but it's not an enlightened perspective truly Mm -hmm. it's not and so how can we continue to dwell in that and see these unenlightening opportunities and not get attached further Mm -hmm. um that's that's the constant ebb and flow i think no, I'm glad that you I'm glad that you brought that up. I mean, one of the things in the book that Adia talks about is, you know, he he tries to be really clear that you know, enlightenment or awakening whatever 
this dissolving of the ego is not a self-improvement plan. And, and, you know, we haven't even talked about that. I mean, we talked about law of attraction and, and that kind of thing, but, but self-help stuff, you know, all of the coaching and everything that is out in the world right now, I mean, isn't really all that far off because it's all about like, how can you become, like you said, how can you become the best version of yourself? How can you, you know, how can you become happier? How can you be more fulfilled? How can you be more aligned and have more clarity? Right. I mean, and I, I wanted to be a life coach for a while. And I was, I mean, I've always been enthralled and loved self-help and one of the things with letting go of Christianity was it felt like I could really embrace my my appreciation and my interest in the self-help world. And so I went headlong down that path for a while until I realized that the spiritual path that I was on with this like consciousness kind of stuff, and which was all about what felt to me at the time, like going deeper and deeper into being nothing didn't match up with the stuff that I was doing with my coaching and with the self-help stuff, which was all about becoming better and better and better and building up the ego more and like making your ego more stable. And so I like Adia, what he says here is, um, he says, what I'm teaching should not be mistaken for a self-improvement plan. This isn't about becoming a perfect a perfect being, but it's about seeing what causes division within ourselves. So it's not about becoming better or even in some regards, like becoming whole the way that a self like a self-improvement book would talk about, but that it's looking and seeing like where are you divided? And even whenever you say, oh, I want to become a better version of myself, you're already divided because you're already deciding that certain parts of you are not acceptable, that you have to, you know, you have to rid yourself of anger. You have to rid yourself of impatience, rid yourself of selfishness, you know, be more kind, be more this, be more that. It's like, well, you're just pointing out all the ways that you're divided. And maybe that's the, maybe that's the role of the self-improvement world is to, instead of like thinking of it as like, this is all the ways that I can be better. Think of it as like, well, the self-improvement stuff shows me all the ways that I'm divided. All of the ways that I have decided for myself which parts of me are okay and worthy and which parts of me are not. And then you can like, you know, maybe go into the dissolving of the ego from from that space. But I think you're, I mean, you're right. And I, I'm glad that you brought that up because if you think of the if you just look at like, oh, this is where I'm getting hooked. This is where I'm getting triggered. And so now I'm going to take that on and I'm going to become the person that overcame this. Well, that's just, that's just your ego again, like taking the energy of this like awakening and using it to create a new identity of I'm no longer a victim. I'm an overcomer. (laughs) It's like, no, it's no, that's, that's another, that's another pitfall right there. Yeah, it's like moving from from one ego to another, which is common. You know, they talk about the Mm -hmm. spiritual ego. And I think, you know, it's it's mind. It's our it's the power of our brains. And because that's that's where the ego is conceived is in our thinking. Right. Mm -hmm. Our ego thinks itself into existence. And when when we cease to think the ego ceases to be. Which is, I think that's a helpful way to look at it is if truly if, if we stop thinking, 
the ego is gone mm-hmm. literally in that moment because it can't be without without thought yeah without because without thought yeah without thought and that's not to say that all thoughts are ego but right. all ego is thought but without thought and that's the power of meditation and mindfulness is because we're kind of stepping outside of thought and then we're just the experience right we're just life unfolding there isn't any i because i is a thought mm-hmm. and ah, that's such a that's such a peaceful way to be but but yet um our minds are so dang powerful. I mean, think about it. Think about what the mind has created. Like everything that exists in civilization, this technology that we're communicating on, the internet, it's all a creation of mind. It's it's pretty amazing. And so think about it. We we go from like ordinary ego to then spiritual ego to then probably multiple iterations because it's the mind knows what it's doing and creating these these things to build out this structure identity giving itself power um or something i don't know we're, we're probably maybe over villainizing the mind if we think that way but uh, i guess all that to say is that i i sense that that's a big part of this journey of life is we'll overcome the egoic tendencies in one way and then something shiny will attract us even if it feels uh spiritual and it feels like the right path some way shape or form that egoic tendency of mind is going to probably sneak in and just require that work kind of again like like you've been saying it's just those hooks that will just require our presence to transmute i guess and i i think that that is well, I mean, it seems kind of like that is the key, right? Is to keep to keep questioning what is true, what is true, what is true, and to really try to stay aware and to be brutally honest with yourself about where your desires and motivations and interests and everything are coming from. I mean, that seems to be the only way to to sort of. I mean, I don't. I think everybody's going to fall into a spiritual pit. <laughs> you know, along the way, it just is kind of inevitable, but you know, the, it seems like the, the important things or the helpful things are just to continue to question everything and to remember that there is no right way that it's all being filtered by our human minds and by, you know, this ego, however you want to define it. Um, and just to keep being brutally honest and that self-inquiry process of where is this thought coming from? What am I hoping to gain from this thought? How is it, how is it keeping me from fully being a person of love and acceptance and peace and freedom for everybody, for everything, not just how is it fulfilling myself, but to stay open and, and curious and asking I don't know. And in that place of uncertainty, right? Because all of these pitfalls are actually places where we want to grasp onto something that is that is certain, that is secure. And so much of this experience is learning to rest in the uncertainty and in the not knowing, which is uncomfortable for the ego part of us. 
Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. You know, what what is it that is motivating the egoic tendency, right? I think of egoic tendency is as just, again, wanting to be an individual and, and focusing on our, our nature as an individual. And then if you inquire into that, well, the first thing that arises for me as I ponder, it's like, well, it is a a comfort and a stabilization thing because if I go into the world and someone says, Oh, Hey, this is, this is Dave. He is so-and-so. And then I say, Nope, I'm not that I am. I am awareness. You know, <laughs> I am all of this. I am the tree. Like I will not fit in. My, my my experience, the experience that that is happening in in this like local mode, a medium of consciousness would struggle in some mm-hmm. way, shape or form. It would be ostracized socially. Yeah. So it's it's like the ego is developed in order to be a social animal. So there's that continual pull to to want to fit in and and be social with our kind of biological needs and so how do we that's that's one of the so again i guess all that to say is maybe i'm rambling now but all that to say is like understanding why does the egoic pattern continue to arise within us and i think what you said and what i just kind of elaborated on is there's these kind of almost like primal needs that it is satisfying mm-hmm. well and it's i know we've got to wrap up here in a minute but it's interesting too right that if this ex- if this world experience whatever is the waves of consciousness like experiencing itself then if we utterly removed ourselves into a cave where we could just sit and be alone as conscious awareness. I don't know. Is that defeating the point <laughs> of experiencing, of experiencing ourself as consciousness? I don't know. Is that, is that why we do have this, you know? So I don't know. <laughs> my, uh, I was having a conversation with my wife, Liz yesterday. And uh, I, I forget what it was, but I think it was something about how somebody we knew was, was dying. Um, or somebody uh, like kind of a six degrees of separation, somebody was dying and we, we heard about it and she made the comment like, she's like, well, when my time comes, I just want to, I want it to be a stroke in my sleep and I just want to be done. And I, and I kid you not, I, this is going to sound terrible, but I, oh, and I should be careful what I should be careful what I say, but I'm like, you know, part of me is, part of me is okay with, if I get like really bad, illness and I have to suffer because it would be an experience to have. Right. And it was a really interesting kind of like really weird thing to say. I, I realized it when I was saying it, Does that but at be, the same like time, the ego coming in the back door being like, look at me, how I'm suffering so well. I want cancer or something. I mean, I know that's probably not what you mean, but no. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. Like, Oh, look, look at what I can handle. But no, it, it is this idea that, yeah, we, what we are, again, 
this is a philosophical theory, but it's, it's what I hang my hat on. What we are is consciousness is awareness that is having an experience. And in that respect, you know, the cave example, Mm -hmm. sure. You're having that experience and it's, there is no evaluation of what the experience is. It's just, it's a novel experience. It's kind of like the Alan Watts video we shared um, a few weeks back. Like his theory is that, you know, we're having an experience now of forgetting who we are right? and yeah. we have to keep, keep remembering it. But yeah, so I had that thought of like, you know, it would be an experience and I'm, I'm open for that. And it, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, uh, oh, this would be better than that. But it's just like, there, one isn't better than the other kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's all just an experience to be had. Well, and I mean, there's definitely something to that. Cause I think that if you marinate in these teachings you do start to surrender more to the idea of death like it doesn't present Mm -hmm. as such a scary thing anymore and i mean i i'm with liz i don't i have i have no interest in suffering (laughs) i want it to be (laughs) i want it to be quick and easy you know um but there is still like even the other day i don't know i don't know we were at a at a film festival or something and and we're watching these these videos and I don't know I had the the thought of like what if a bomb was dropped on us or like we're in this little theater we have no idea what's happening outside like what if the world is ending and just like would I be would I be okay and I had one of those moments where I was like this life is this life is enough like this experience is enough and and I think that you know, that's kind of where these teachings help us get to like you with the death. And I mean, it's like, of course, when you're in it, you have a different experience, but just, I don't know that maybe you're not quite so afraid of, of these different possibilities that are out there. Right. Well, and, and it's less fear of the unknown. Right. Because I think a lot of the fear of death is the fear of what comes next mm-hmm. is the show over am i gonna go to hell am right. i gonna go to heaven like what is gonna happen and you know a lot of there's a lot of schools of thought obviously and it's almost all well it is all postulation because we just don't know right i mean until you experience it you don't know i mean all the theories kind of can can come together at some point but anyway so there's that there's that acceptance of not only acceptance of the life as it unfolds without any sort of resistance or rejection, but an acceptance of the not knowing and the Mm -hmm. uncertainty and just allowing that to be and just flowing with it. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just like, you know what, whatever comes is going to come and okay. You know, it's, it's okay. I'm okay with it. It's, it's that surrender is, I like the word, but acceptance, like it's that surrender acceptance. Yes kind of two sides of the same coin but they they carry a little bit different meaning mm-hmm. right because it's in one hand yeah we're surrendering to the flow of of existence of life and in the other hand we are willfully saying yes yes i right. accept wh- where this is going right right well, i think that's a good place to wrap up thanks everybody for listening and reach out to us uh share your thoughts on this stuff i mean Dave and I both have toyed with, you know, the truth of law of attraction and how we both believe that we have manifested 
things. There's, you know, the idea of synchronicity and who knows what the truth is. Like who knows where, you know, all these are just ideas that we're playing with and exploring. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on them. Um, yeah. So you can send us an email at from believing to being at gmail.com and we'd love to hear from you. Take care.